Welcome to WP Tonic, episode 21. I love that number 21. Hope you all had a great new year. Today we have on the show Brent Weaver. Brent's going to go into detail about how to build a WordPress agency and how he did it with a partner. Basically, I always like to go to the bluff. He got with a partner and they divvied it up. They both worked on different elements. He worked on the sales and marketing side and his partner worked on the backside for the code and the building of the web pages and sites. Today, they have a very prosperous company and at YouGuru, you can find out how Brent built his agency. So without further ado, let's get right into the conversation with Brent, Jonathan, and me, your co-host, Bill Conrad. It's my pleasure to have Brent Weaver of YouGuru on WP Tonic. Brent has been one of the more interesting figures on the internet of recent years. I've been one of his followers. I'm actively thinking of going on one of on one of his training programs myself in the new year, and uh, I thought I would have him on to discuss some of the key things that maybe a freelance or somebody running a small agency should be thinking about in the new year. Also, I'm going to ask Brent about his thoughts about SASs, and maybe we can just have a general talk about some of the key figures that have influenced me about SAS and about startups in general. So, Brent, it's great to have you on the show. Great to be here, John. So, um, you've really discussed some of the your own personal ups and downs as being a digital agency owner and you've been extremely honest about some of your low points and how you managed to turn that around so could you give you know we've got a very diverse audience here but could you give some insights to a freelancer maybe somebody who's running a small agency what you see as some of a couple of some of the fundamental mistakes you see out there that people are are making yeah and any mistake that i talk to is is probably a mistake that i uh personally went through and uh you know there's 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 definitely plenty of them um you know i i can key into a couple of things that maybe three that i think were were fundamental for me um you know the first was just how you what you spend your time focusing on, right? Whether you're a single solopreneur or you're a small team or one or two or three or four person team. Um, early on, you know, I did everything. My business partner did everything. And, and we really had no division of roles and responsibilities. We didn't really very clearly draw boxes around what are the things in our business that we need to get done and who's accountable for those things. So when two people are accountable for the same thing, uh, something magical happens and actually nobody's accountable for that thing. So if I sell and my business partner sells and somebody else in my company sells projects, nobody ultimately is accountable for sales. Uh, And that's a bad thing, right? So the same thing goes with projects. The same thing happens with design, development, coding, uh, general operations, finance, admin, marketing. You know, these, these, these functions of your business really need to sit within a seat, and somebody needs to own that seat. And until you're willing to let go of that stuff as an entrepreneur, um, you, you'll just—it's like treading water. You know, you're never really going to scale. When we divided our responsibilities into essentially, we, we call it front of the house and back of the house. I sold, and my business partner fulfilled. Right? We made that shift. Instead of me doing design and him doing development and we both kind of sell and we both show up to sales meetings and all that kind of stuff, we said, look, I'm going to sell stuff and you're going to deliver it. I don't care 
how you deliver it, I don't. That's up to you. If you want to build out a team, if you want to do the design yourself, if you want to do the development yourself, that's all up to you. You're going to own that department. And when it comes to selling and marketing, I'm going to do that stuff. I'm going to basically be out there hustling and uh, meeting new clients on a regular basis. And I'm going to be pitching them projects. And when I have a real project in hand, we're going to do a kickoff meeting. I'm going to hand that off to you. And then once I hand that off to you, I am back out the door and I'm finding that next customer. When we made that shift, we went from doing like 130K a year to 250, then 500 uh, the next year, and then 750 the next year, and then a million the next year. Like it was just double, 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 double. And it was because every time, you know, like I could just be out there hustling and hustling and hustling. So that division of labor is. I think probably one of the, a very, very important lesson that until I did that, we just struggled. You know, it's the feast and famine cycle because ultimately the feast and famine exists because when you're working on a project, you're not selling and marketing. And when you're selling and marketing, you're not working on a project. So when you just look at that, that over a timeline, that is going to create this, you know, this roller coaster of cash flow. So that's one of the big mistakes that I made. I had three of them. Only three. I could give you twenty-five, Brent. Uh, uh. So, in, in the, the other one, the other, the middle one will uh, will will come to me. Okay. So then, the second one, uh, I remember now. So sometimes I kind of black out. Um, so my second, my second one is around how much time you spend with your customer. Uh, before you actually start working for them. And a lot of web designers, a lot of freelancers, they like to just talk to a customer for 20 minutes and email a proposal over. And when I when I was doing this, it's like there's no relationship that's built. You don't have enough time in 20 minutes to really figure out who this person is. You know, What are their problems? What are their aspirations? What are their goals? What's their strategy? Like, There's no way in a 30-minute quick phone call that you can really get to know a client. And a lot of that you know, stems from the fact that people just need multiple interactions. They need to interact with somebody over time. You know, this crazy thing would happen to me when I would string out my sales process into three or four or five or even 10 interactions is in my second sales interaction, the client would tell me something that they didn't tell me the first time, something that was significant. It was something that was, um, it was a big deal, right? And then that third interaction where we're doing deeper discovery, they would tell something to me that would be an even bigger deal. And I would be like, oh man, you didn't tell me that in my first meeting. And I'm really glad you did because that actually fundamentally changes our entire approach to this project. So what I learned there was that when I hear from web designers, they all complain about scope creep. They all complain about their clients, um, you know, telling them that they need more or they're halfway through a project and all these unexpected things come up. That's purely driven from the, their failure to properly do discovery on the front side. Scope creep is a failure of the person doing sales. They did not do enough discovery on the front end. They did not understand their customer well enough before they went into the project. And when you do understand the customer, when you spend the time on the front side, you'd be surprised at how much scope creep goes away. I'm not saying it completely gets eradicated, but when you spend a lot of time with your customer doing really in-depth discovery, um, it gets rid of a lot of that stuff because you spend a lot of time learning who your customer is, understanding what their expectations are, setting expectations with them. And so that's probably the second thing I learned. When I started moving to a multi-interaction sales process, you know, our deals went from a couple thousand dollars to 10, 20,000, $30,000 per, per project. So, you know, we, we were able to dig out a lot of that stuff that ends up becoming scope creep. 
Can I ask um, yep. a quick question? Um, I agree with you. My only slight qualms about what you've just outlined in your second part of answering my question is that um, I think you are correct that discovery is really important and building a relationship with a potential client. But you can't really do that in the $2,000, $3,000 client, can you? You can only really spend that kind of um, time if you a you got a, a small team and also you're talking a client around the between maybe the six to ten thousand dollar mark uh sure uh fair enough that being said uh at least for me where my business was at i had no interest in the commodity game and to be realistic and kind of raw here if you're building two thousand dollar websites you're selling commodities right these are readily available probably for free you know, if if you're a savvy business owner, you can probably get the equivalent of what a web designer is building for two thousand um, bucks at no cost to you, right? You could probably go to you know WP Engine, fire up a hosting account, and plug in a theme for a theme and write your own content and be most of the way there. So. I'm not bashing the $2,000 project. I'm just saying for me, I have no interest there. Um, I don't want to sell a commodity. I don't want to race to the bottom. I don't want to figure out how cheap I can go with my offering so that you know I can send a proposal over to a client and they've got five offerings just like it and they're just going to go with the, the lowest bottom dollar one. Um, that's really not in my interest. So for me, my target was businesses that were probably doing at least a half a million dollars a year. You know, If somebody's a an insurance agent that's a hundred thousand dollar a year business and they need a quick churn website like they do need a commodity they need to put a a shingle outside their storefront and say look i'm open i'm available um but they're not going to get any real strategy work for two thousand bucks they're not going to get um any kind of they're not going to they're not going to get any more customers than they would if they would have just gone to wix.com i do do understand what you're saying brent because what you're saying is oh i think what you're saying you'll confirm it yes or no is that you're a pretty savvy business person you've got a lot of experience in business online business and you're making yourself available to that client you're not only you and your team when you were actively involved in um, web development design um, you were also being a business consultant to that client is that you know and your experience you brought to the table yeah and and i think that most web professionals have a desire to move that direction and maybe i mean just based on what i know and what you know i talk to hundreds of web pros every week and it seems like that's the desire they're unhappy with the amount of money they get paid on a per project basis they're unhappy with how their customers communicate with them what the relationship's like and i think ultimately they want that and so you know with with my company yougurus like we provide a path to that we provide a path to learn how to be that person yeah I think um, what I was going to say is that I uh, I also got some blowback from some clients about when you wanted a um, richer discovery process. But to be honest with what you said on reflection, those clients were on the cheaper end and that's why they blew back um, because they saw me um, as a bit of a commodity so obviously they're going to push back, aren't they? Because um, when you're talking about a larger project or a project where they think they can make a, a considerable return, 
they want as much discovery as possible, don't they? Well, right. So like anybody that says, I don't want to do discovery with you. You know, my, my question to them is like, what do they want? Like, what are they really after? Uh, and if they say, well, look, we just want you to build a website. It's like, well, what do you, what is the website supposed to do? What is your end goal? What does success look like for you? Is it more people on your email list? Is it more people buying stuff? What does that look like? Um, is it more uh, profitable, you know, year for you? I mean, tell me what that is. And when you get them to separate their desire from the website to actually talk about what they're trying to do what their end goal is, if you can get them to admit, I would like to get more customers or we'd like to increase the amount of fans we have, or if they're a nonprofit, we want to get access to higher dollar donors, like whatever that is, if you can get them to admit what their ultimate goal is and you can say, okay, look, I could go build you a website for $2,000 today that just is going to slap your five pages of content onto a website and I can hand over the keys. And I'm happy to do that. But you just told me that you're trying to grow your business and get more customers using the web. And in my experience, building a five-page brochure website is not going to accomplish that. So while I'll take your $2,000 today, if your expectation is that this website's going to actually get you more customers, you know, there's no way that I can promise that for $2,000. And you might be better off not even having a website. So, I mean, that's getting into some of my like, objection handling and sales scripts but you know if you can get the customer to agree and to meet you where you're at and not to look at you as a commodity and actually look at you as somebody that has your best intentions in mind then i think you can you can break out of that commodity trap that a lot of people find themselves in yeah i want to go through three things that i've learned over the past two years and I should have learned them quicker. Maybe I would have learned them quicker if I'd gone one, on one of your courses. And I just want to get your feedback, right? One, stop talking so much. Listen to your potential clients and keep your if um, half the amount that you actually say in the initial discussions and listen more, right? I had a terrible knack of just going on and on and on. <laughs> well, and, well, here, and here's a way to, to potentially, you know, to listen, I think, is um, is maybe only half of, of really what maybe is going on, right? Like, yes, you do need to listen, but you also need to ask the right questions. And there's a big difference between questions. Like, you know, if I ask you, what are you going to do to grow your business next year? Like you might give me a specific answer. Now, if I ask that same, pretty much that same question, if I say, what are you going to do to grow your business next year by 10x? I mean, just that subtlety of what are you going to do to grow your business next year or what are you going to do to grow your business next year by 10x? Like there's, it's pretty much the same question, but I guarantee you, you're going to get a much different answer. And so I think listening is an extremely important component because you have to be aware and in tune with what your customer is potentially saying. But then you also need to really have a good grip on what are the right questions to ask. Yes, I think that's great. Um, number two. I, I want to know how you build, grow your business by 10x. Anybody, <laughs> done, anybody done it, you know? You I mean, other soul. than starts, <laughs> uh, you just you just sell your soul, and it's all good. You know, a guy comes with a with a with a, a banjo, and and he plays something, and and it's all good. Ten yeah. X. That's a that's a that's a big move. You woke me up. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know that I wasn't listening. Yeah. Okay, Jonathan, drive on. Sorry <laughs> right. about that. No, I heard ten X. Um, um, my next thing I've learned is that if a client really believes in you and you have built that trust. 
they they do not bother reading the proposal that you spent hours with on they only read clients only really read proposals to find reasons for not hiring you what do you feel about that well i guess i don't i don't really um one of the things i i tell people to never do is to never email a proposal to a client so i think that practice that a lot of people have of just sending a proposal to a customer and having them read the proposal and having a piece of paper really do probably one of the most critical steps in the sales process. Like when I, if you want to see me sell, it's the proposal presentation. When I shift from discovery and learning and listening into I'm going to sell you and I'm going to handle your objections, like my proposal presentation is probably one of the most critical steps in my process. Like that's where I go from, you know, I'm just learning a lot about you to I have a solution and I'm going to walk through why this solution solves your problems. And there is no way in hell that I'm going to let a piece of paper do the talking for me. Uh, And so I think the proposal is a tool that is, it's written and it says, look, here is the stuff that I'm going to do in exchange for money. And, And there's nothing that's in that proposal that I haven't previously talk to them about, but I, I never would ever email a client a proposal and say, hey, go read this in your own time and let me know what you think because you're giving up this amazing opportunity to have a interactive discussion with them about what you're going to do for them, but more importantly, why you're going to do it. Right, uh, Simon Sinek from uh, Start With Why, he gave an amazing TED Talk years ago, but he's got a quote. It's, uh, people don't buy what you, what you do, they buy why you do it. And when I go through my scope of work with my clients, I literally have every section. I say, look, here's what we're going to do for planning. Da, 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 da. And this is why we do that. Because when we fail to plan, we fail to fully understand who your customer is and why we're doing this project. And I want to make sure my entire team understands that. I have a why behind every single thing that I do in a project. And so, you know, if you can get out of that mindset of I'm going to send an email and my client's going to sign on the dotted line and magically money's going to end up in my bank account, and you actually do the selling then you can have a fundamental lift in your win percentage. So, so basically, I think we've got a divergence here. Um, And I see where you're coming from. I've just found that um, I wanted to qualify is that I, I I still think you have a meeting and you go through it. But I think subconsciously they've already decided, unless you, there's a major hitch that comes up in that meeting, that subconsciously they've already made their mind that they're going to hire you. And I think it's up. I think you can lose the sell, but the ball's in your court, as they say, and it's up. You know, if you drop it, you drop it. But that's just my personal feeling. Well, here, here, here's a situation I find I would find myself in a lot is I would be coming into the table with a twenty-five thousand dollar proposal. And all of my competitors would have five to seven thousand dollar proposals. So I do need to run through a proposal and explain to them why I'm three or four or five times more expensive than my competitors. And that's a very critical interaction for me. Um, I want them to have objections. I want them to tell me why they don't want to do the project. Every time they are interested and engage with me in a section of the scope of work and tell me like, oh, well, I don't want to do this because of X, Y, and Z. That is an objection. That's an engagement. And if handled correctly, every single one of those can turn into a selling asset for you. Right. Yep. I follow the logic. Um, My third and final point is pre-identify people that are not suitable as clients of yours and do it as quick as possible. I've wasted so much time talking to people that on reflection were never suitable for me, that were never going to hire me. When they did hire me, they were a nightmare because what they wanted to spend and what they wanted to do was never going to match. 
but pre-identification is a bit of an art form to do it in a way that's not rude or seems dismissive. So have you got any insights about how you, you pre-identify suitable clients and those that aren't? So, so I think that first starts with you developing who an ideal customer is for you. So that can be defining a business or organization size by revenue, team members. It can be around them, uh, you know, defining a digital spend budget, um, geography, a type of business, a market, a niche, um, a association involvement. Um, there's a lot of different ways that you can create a customer, an ideal customer profile. Um, but you have to have one of those, I think, first, right? Because if you're qualifying them against like your emotional feeling, then I think you know you're going to have a very inconsistent result. So if you're going to qualify, which you should, I'm 100% on board with you there, Jonathan. Um, you know, have a ideal customer profile because you've got to have something that's quantitative that you can qualify against. My very first interaction with somebody is qualification interaction. Hey, look, I'd love to talk to you about your project, but first I have a few questions I'd like to run with you, run through you with. Um, it just helps me to identify whether you're a good fit for my business or not. Um, you know, do you mind if we spend 10 minutes before we get into what your project is about? Get them to agree. Awesome. Uh, curious, how long have you been in business? You know, yeah. How, how much revenue have you guys done in the last 12 months? Awesome. Yeah. Uh, how many states are you guys involved in? How many offices do you have? How many employees do you have? Uh, what markets do you serve? Um, what types of products do you have? What types of services do you have, right? Doing some basic qualification against whatever you've defined as your ideal customer profile. And then then you have your target, right? Your center is your bullseye. And as as they either, you know, nobody is usually perfect, but as they move away from that bullseye, that's going to tell you how far away from your ideal you're working with. And ultimately, it becomes your choice to work with who you want to work with, right? I'm not saying you have to work with people that are only your ideal customer, but you know, if, if cash flow is is painful this month, you might work with whoever knocks on your door. But if you're really, really busy and somebody calls you up and says they want to develop the next Facebook for a thousand dollars, then you know it's pretty easy for you to say, look, you're just not part of you're not my ideal customer. Like I, I can refer you out or you know go check out Elance. Um, so I think having that ideal customer profile is really important first. Getting the customer then to agree to ask your qualification questions in that very, 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 very first interaction. Then once you go through those questions, if it seems like they're on point, there seems like there's somebody that you would like to continue talking to, then it's either it's a very simple pivot to, hey, you know what? Um, these it seems like you're who I like to work with based on previous experience. We've done a lot of business with clients that fit your um, you know the types of things that you're looking to do. I'd love to schedule up a meeting with you to to go into deeper discovery, right? So I like to schedule a qualification to be ten or fifteen minutes long, and it's literally like that's the purpose of it. Because if you schedule an hour block and you go visit somebody and you do qualification, you know, then you go through qualification. And you're like, well, what do we do with the other 45 minutes? And you start getting into discovery. You start talking to them about their project. And that's really a waste of time. So I prefer to do discovery over the phone, quick and dirty, 10 or 15 minutes. If everything is going well, then schedule some kind of discovery meeting. Yeah. And have you got any kind of insights? I'm not asking you. Um, you got any insights? Because I, I also think I hear a lot of freelancers and there's been periods where I've had my ups and downs. Um, how do you build a big enough funnel so there's enough inquiries that you can then do a proper pre-qualification system? Well, like, 
I mean, how many clients do you need a year to to have a successful business? I mean, just for you personally, I mean, I assume you have a, a service business. Um, how many clients do you need every year for you to be like knocking it out of the park? Well, I would say about twelve to fifteen. I mean, you know, we're not talking about selling a, a billion cans of Coca Cola here, right? I mean, twelve to fifteen clients in a year—that's one client a month. I mean, you know, you should be talking to three or four people every month. I mean, that that probably is not a super aggressive funnel. You know, you could probably pick one target market, um, do some basic content marketing, some basic uh, lead magnet stuff, and probably have enough customers to last you, you know, the next five years. Uh, a lot of freelancers and in, 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 in agencies, they, they're marketing as if they need thousand customers next year, right? They're going after small business, right? They're going after these huge open-ended targets. And that's probably one of the biggest mistakes is that, you know, to go after small business, you need to have a Gary Vaynerchuk budget. Um, you know, you can't have a a $5,000 annual marketing budget and go after small business. You've got to get more laser focused. So I think the first step for most freelancers is to define some type of customer segment. Now, I'm not saying you need to go after hairdressers or lawyers or accountants, but you do need to draw a circle around a lowest common denominator. Maybe that's your local chamber of commerce. Maybe it's a startup incubator that's near your house. Maybe it's a WordPress LinkedIn group, right? Pick a place that you're going to become like the person and get laser focused. Like, what do these people want? What are their pains? What are their problems? How can I get myself in front of them 15 different ways so that I can get those 12 clients a year? Because the reality is you don't need hundreds and hundreds of customers. Like, yougurus.com, we need hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of customers, right, to to, to, to operate. Um, so we have to go out there and get really aggressive with our marketing and go out there and do, like, big Facebook campaigns and, and traffic campaigns. I think to get those 12 customers – you know, you just need to get focused first and then try to, you know, once you get that focused energy, that momentum, you can start to be a little bit more choosy. Oh, I think that's great general advice. Bill, do you want to say something? We're getting towards the end here. We got about five more minutes for Jonathan to wrap it up. Five, or ten. I, five or ten, Bill. No, yeah, you got to watch it. I do the editing side, man. We got to watch her. Uh, I want to ask. Hold, hold a second. Let me finish up. I already can tell that I'm going to put this on as part two is of timelines of success. I always don't always do it because it fits so well into the first part. So the next day we'll, we'll bring up Jonathan's WP tonic and put it on part two because excellent information you just brought forward to the people who listen to timelines and they're maybe not as sophisticated as some of the people who are teaching and, and working in WordPress and, and whatever the agency might be. But I do have three questions to ask real fast. If you could sort of tie them together. Uh, first of all, coming right out of school into your business in tech, how did you learn sales? I'm going to ask all three. And if and what's your ideal client towards how much do they understand tech? I mean, some guys don't, some people don't understand it. Some people understand it. Do you like someone who sort of understands tech or yes or no? And then finally, on, on timelines, you said you talked about the value pro proposition getting the cost way down. You know, that huge Gary Vandercheck sort of approach. So that, that, you know, delivering a lot of value for not as much. Yeah, so... And, and I and I will have to jump here, guys, in in five minutes, so we can uh, hopefully kind of get get close to a, a wrap up here. So, in terms of how I learned to sell, uh, first and foremost, massive trial and error. Um, I've pitched over a thousand website projects in terms of actual proposals, and 
I a lot of trial and error for years and years and years. And finally, I figured out that people have been there and done that before me. And I got smart and I joined some business accelerators and I invested some money into my professional education and I hired some sales coaches and consultants. I paid tens of thousands of dollars to learn their secrets of the trade. And then I used their their tactics in the field and refined my process. And then I started teaching my process while using my process. And that's really where I started to master some of these ideas and some of these concepts. Concepts. And at this point, you know, I've taught my process and my methods to thousands of web professionals, and um, I've been able to use their feedback to further uh, kind of polish up um, how some of my tactics and strategies. So I, I, I think, though, no matter what I go into in the future, I don't think I will ever do that again because that was super slow. It was just a waste of time. I mean, it was, you know, the types of stuff that I was doing, if I would have paid somebody two grand, three grand to teach me how to do what they did. I mean, I could have saved myself a huge amount of headache. So really learning from those advisors and those mentors, whenever I do anything now, it's like I always reach out. I find the best person in that space and I pay them lots and lots of money. You know, I mentioned Ash Maria uh, from Running Lean earlier in today's program. When I read that book, the very next thing I did was I emailed him and I said, I got to set up a call for for you, right? I paid him 500 bucks for an hour. And I just, I talked to him about all the different things that um, I needed to have answered. And then I've done that several times since then. So, you know, investing the money because look, the their alternative is that you can go out there in the field and make 50 mistakes and waste days, weeks, months, or even in my case, I wasted some years doing things incorrectly. So um, I definitely recommend to, to, to learn from others to, to learn how to do things like selling and marketing. Your second question, uh, in terms of my audience, what do they need to know? Now, what, what of type tech? of client do you like to have? For example, do you like to walk no. in your the medium to large businesses? I assume they have tech people in them, um, network administrators, things of that nature. Who do you actually talk to when you market and sell? Uh, my preference is always the founding entrepreneur because, I mean, all of the – it's eventually uh, – Are they tech savvy? them. Sometimes, maybe a little bit, you know, and maybe enough to be dangerous. Um, I think sometimes it's almost better to be with somebody that's maybe not super tech savvy just because, you know, ignorance is bliss. They're going to maybe trust you a little bit more to do the right thing. They're not going to be up in your, your business in terms of the day-to-day operations. But at the same time, I've had amazing relationships with people that are super tech savvy and they just don't have the time or the capacity to do that kind of stuff. So, you know, I don't think I really have a prerequisite there. I think it's more about their mindset. You know, are do they have... Are do, are they willing to let go? Or do they have a trust mindset? Are they do they have an abundance mindset? Um, you know, those are the types of things that I'm more concerned about than their specific tech prowess. You know, I just ask a quick question, then we'll wrap it up. I just want to ask you a couple of people in the startup community that's really influenced you because a couple that have really influenced me, Brent, is um, Jason Cohan of WP Engine. I had the pleasure of taking um, Jason out for lunch and he's one of the most sharpest business people I've ever met and I would say um, Rob Whalen of Drip he's also somebody that's highly influenced me business wise I think his attempt to build Drip and what he's doing there is quite impressive so are there a couple of people that you've met over you know the past year that's really impressed you in the startup community i don't know if you consider them a startup anymore but a, a mentor of mine uh jim franklin of he was the former ceo of sendgrid i'm not sure if you guys use that tool but they're a denver-based company that came out of TechStars. uh jim has provided some amazing advice to me over the last few years um another couple of kind of on the internet marketing side a couple of people that i follow pretty closely um yannick silver and uh evan pagan 
Jeff Walker, you know, some of those guys that are super savvy on the internet marketing side. Um, also, some people that have been super inspirational, uh, Marie Forleo. Um, I think she's doing some amazing things with entrepreneurs. Uh, and then another person, uh, Noah Kagan uh, over at AppSumo. I think he's he's just super savvy on the marketing yeah. side. He's built some amazing tools as well. Uh, he's, a, he's a very impressive – so we're going to wrap it now because you're a busy guy, Brent. But I've enjoyed our chat. I think – You've given some really clear insights and um, you've been a gracious guest. You put up with our insanity quite well, Brent. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, I, I enjoyed it, so I'd love to come back anytime you guys would have me. Oh, I think I loved uh, a further interview when we talk about startup and about SaaS and about some of the people that influenced you and me. Because, like Rob Whalen, I've learned so much from his material, um, and I've read his book a couple times. Right, Brett Thanks Jonathan, ec excellent show. Uh, just real quick, how can we reach you from WP Tonic side? Yep. So just reach out to me on Twitter at Brent Weaver, um, or you can hit me up at our website, ugurus.com. Uh, That's letter U and then gurus.com. Uh, download some of our free resources, or of course, you can uh, click the help button and uh, send a message over to us there as well. But uh, Twitter is probably the fastest way. I'm checking that all the time anyways. Thank you, Brent. Very nice. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Bill. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>